It's time for the most interactive radio program in Las Vegas today. It's time for Pushing the Limits with Brian Shapiro. Brian will talk sports, politics, entertainment, and anything that matters to you. Feel free to call Brian at 702-221-7283. You want answers? I want the truth! Now pushing the limits, here's Brian Shapiro. Thank you. All right, what's up, everybody? Pushing the limits time on a Thursday. I am so glad uh, you guys decided to join us today. I appreciate it. And we got some great guests lined up for you, as we always do every day on this show. I just found out that Donald Trump's lead speechwriter is going to be joining us on the show tomorrow. So that's going to be very interesting. But uh, we got a lot to get to today. Uh, UNLV basketball, big game tonight against Southern Miss. UNLV's head coach, Kevin Kruger, is going to be joining us in hour number two to kind of preview uh, that game. We got a big Sean Hannity story that came out. Apparently, Sean Hannity under oath expressed that he knew that Donald Trump was full of crap when it came to this election integrity stuff. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, it's the fourth day of Hanukkah today, and I am a terrible Jew. I'll be the first one to admit that live on the air. I did didn't even know it was Hanukkah. I know I'm just I'm, I'm bad, man. What can I say? I'm bad. Uh, but I said, what better person to have in studio to talk about issues facing, uh, you know, the Jewish community and, and talk about some a, a lot of important topics than uh, Rabbi Yitzvine, uh from Young Israel uh, joining us in studio again. Uh, Rabbi, it's a pleasure to have you here. I do appreciate you coming in. How are you? Brian, thank God I am only doing fantastic. I appreciate that. Do we hear you on the mic? I don't know if Rabbi, we don't want to silence the Let's do that again. There we go. There we go. Okay, so I'll answer your question. (laughs) So thank God I'm only doing fantastic. Good. I'm so happy to to hear that, uh, Rabbi. Thank you so much for being here. Coming straight at you. Never never say you're a terrible Jew. (laughs) Well, I am. No one should ever do that. What you you should say is, 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 is you stop and you say, I am in the process of becoming a better Jew. You know what? By having this discussion with you. I'll be honest with you, Rabbi. I say that mostly joking. Um, I think the most important thing is to be a good human being. Doesn't, you know, like, it doesn't matter what religion you are. I think you would agree with me. Be a good human being first. Be kind to people, which sometimes I'm not always kind to people, but be kind to people. Okay. And, and then, um, you know, whatever faith you may have, um, take it as far as you want to go. Does you know, that make they, sense? So, uh, one time I'm, uh, watching the sunset mm-hmm. right in, um, on the coast of Los Angeles. Yeah. And a guy comes up to me. He's older. He's about like, he looks like he's in his mid sixties. Goes, mm-hmm. Oh, Los Angeles, the best place ever. <laughs> hey, he looks at me and he sees my kippa, my yarmulke. And he goes, Yeah. He goes, so You're Jewish. I go, Yeah. He goes, I go, I'm actually a rabbi. He said, Oh, okay. He goes, Yeah. I'm a, I'm a terrible Jew. And then he goes, he looks out, takes a breath. He goes, Tell me something. Can a person be a non-believer mm-hmm. and be a happy person? And I said, and then he goes, and by the way, I'm a non-believer. Okay. So I said to him, I said, well, I think you can be a happy person. I think a non-believer yeah. can be happy. However, it's, here's the difference. You and I are both standing looking at the same sunset, right? So you're saying, oh, this is how beautiful life mm-hmm. is wonderful. Mm-hmm. The sun is gorgeous. It's coming down and you're truly experiencing pleasure. It's awesome. And when I look at the same thing, I say, ah, oh, the creator of the universe who fashioned, you know, billions of stars, mm-hmm. who runs every little thing in the world f- just for me has identified, has created this incredible sunset 
in order to that I should appreciate the glory of his magnificent creation. So can you be happy? Yes. A non-believer can live a happy life. I, I, I'm in between. 100%. Rabbi, I'm in between. Uh, a, you know. a, a faith-based person yeah. who's connected with the Almighty at all times, knowing mm. that God loves him more than he could love his own children, is potentially living on a completely other level of pleasure. So am moment. I wrong in thinking that, listen, I, I'm, I'd like to think that there is a God out there. Okay. I don't know for sure. I don't think anybody knows for sure. But I'm a believer that I would like to think, I'm not an atheist, I'd like to think that there is a higher power out there. But what's important to me, if there is a God out there, is not that God loves me. I want to know that my family loves me. I want to know that my friends love me. And if there is a God out there, then, hey, that's great. If God, if there's a God out there and God loves me too, then that's just the way I think. I want my family to love me. I want my close friends to love me. And then, uh, you know, take it from there. But I hear what you're saying. And I am a believer. I'm not one of those people that doesn't think there isn't a higher power. I do believe that there is. At least I hope that there is. And, and, and we'll have to, you know, we'll have to take it from there. I want to ask you this, though. Yeah. You know, this is around a time we've talked about Kyrie Irving. We've talked about Kanye West with you, right? We don't have to go back there, but I do want to say this. What was your first reaction when Kanye West doubled down and he basically praised Hitler, right? He praised Hitler, said Hitler's done some great things. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that's what he said on the Alex Jones show. And he basically called himself a Nazi. As a rabbi, you, you've dedicated your life to Judaism. What do you make of that when somebody like that doubles down? At least Kyrie Irving apologized. It was probably three weeks too late. What do you make of this guy, Kanye West? Obviously, he's mentally ill, but then he doubles down and he starts praising Hitler. Well, I think, you know, we spoke a little bit about this last time is, and that, you know, the guy's a buffoon. Like if a normal, if a sloppily dressed, grammatically challenged, you know, a person who speaks about things all over the place, uh, you know, walks in to the room, uh, you say, well, you don't give him a lot of credence. Then you find out the guy has billions of dollars and, you know, 40 Grammys or whatever he's got. Then you, then all of a sudden now we, we want to know what he's thinking, right? It's like a straight out of Fiddler on the Roof. You know, you know, Tevya says, when you're rich, they think you really know. Uh, is that true? It's not true. It's not true. It's not true. So, so I don't give, I identify people individually. And then it very clearly, I look at a guy like Kanye West. I say he might be a talented musician and might have found great success in the fashion world, but. I don't give him credence at all in terms of his opinions or anything. And I think he's a buffoon. I think, it, I think it, people who, the, the bigger problem is that in society, when people don't have the clarity of values to know, this is the kind of person I listen to. And this is the kind of person I don't listen to. So I think it's a bigger problem that he would have followers than him being. Rabbi, that was my next question. And I agree with you. Um, the problem that I have, and, and I think you agree with me, is that he has a huge platform and there are people that listen to every word he says. Yeah. And I think this is extremely dangerous. And that's my, that's my concern. As you know, there are people throughout the country that are with Kanye West that, that are agreeing with some of the most ridiculous things that he says. Are you concerned with the rise of anti-Semitism, as you know, um, that there could be attacks this holiday season on people of the Jewish faith. I'm not specifically concerned about attacks. What I, uh, but I am always concerned that there are people that are 
Jew haters. And from a Jewish perspective, you know, it's like, uh, Brian, like everything is in the Torah, the five books of Moses, the, you know, what, what Christians would call the Old Testament. And then even more importantly, or as certainly, certainly as importantly, our, our Jewish tradition contained in the Talmud, which is our oral tradition. So we have an explanation for anti-Semitism. Ultimately, anti- the root of anti-Semitism is the fact that Jews brought godliness to the world. We bring godliness, we bring morality, we bring standards to the world. Some people appreciate it. Some people hate us because of it. The word in Hebrew for hatred is sina. The word, as you know, the Jewish people received the Torah on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. So the Talmud makes a play on the word, says when we brought the Torah to the world— those people that have an issue with God and morality, yep. you know, they hate the Jews. So uh, that's always going to be until the advent of the Messiah. That's always going to happen. But so I, I'm, I, I'm always concerned. I'm always aware of it. But I, I know that the, the real answer to anti-Semitism is to continue to teach people what uh, the, the principles of ethical monotheism. Yeah. Yeah. Which, by the way, to your previous point, you don't know if God exists. You like to think God exists. That is not a contradiction to to, to Judaism. Uh, you know, a person that I'm fond of, uh, I don't agree with everything he says, but I'm fond with many of his things, says Dennis Prager. Mm-hmm. So he tells a story at one time on his radio show, someone called him up and said, you know, Dennis, why aren't you a Muslim? And he had a, a, fa- a fantastic response. He said, he said, well, Islam means to struggle. Islam means to submit to God. Yeah. That's what it means. Israel literally means to struggle with God. Mm. I'd rather struggle with God than submit with God. Well, you might. Because that's our nature to sure. struggle through this. But thing. you might disagree with my take on religion as a whole, right? Now, I think based on religion, if it makes you feel good and it's good to have your faith and values, I think that's all wonderful. But there's a lot of things about religion I don't like. First of all, look at all the people that have died because of their religion. Like billions, billions of people have died in the world just because of their faith. That's number one. Number two, I know you don't do this. You're a good man. But there are a lot of people with their religion out there that force it on other people. Right. I believe religion should be a personal thing, and I think you agree with me. It's 100%. what you make it out to be. Nobody should force anything, and, and that's why I say you're a good man, and I, and I respect your opinion. But there are so many religions out there uh, that because of their faith, and I'll, I'll go to some of the issues facing this country today, homosexuality, right? If you don't think – if you think homosexuality is a sin – I think it's ridiculous if you feel that way. But if you do, you be you and, 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 and let everyone else live their life. But there are so many people out there that look at their faith and they want to judge other people, whether you're gay or you're transgender. Um, I could name you and list you a lot of other things. I think that's wrong. And I think in any religion, when you judge other people because they're not like you, that's wrong. A lot of religions want to say we're right and everybody else is wrong. I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like that either. Um, and that's kind of like the way politics are today. And, I just think there's a lot of things about religion that are extremely judgmental. I think everybody should be able to believe what they want to believe. I think everybody should be able to pray and 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 have the freedom to believe in what you want to believe in so long as you're not hurting other people. There are some people that are so religious that they hurt other people. Yeah. So those are the parts of religion that I don't like. I, so so I, I agree with you in many respects. I, I would change the the word the verbiage from hurting other people to impose your religion upon other people. 
you know, I know because because uh, you know the religious Christian, the re- religious well, Muslim. Me, can I ask you? I'm yeah, sorry uh, to interrupt, but what you're saying, like, yeah. if if if, to, if a gay couple walks into a bakery, which this did happen, if you remember, yeah, yeah sure. And and the person says, "I'm not going to provide you service because you know your your gay marriage." That's hurtful to people. Okay. That, that's, I understand that's his religion. Okay. And I guess it's his business. So I guess he has a right to do that. The Supreme Court, but that's still hurtful. You walk in there and you're gay and you're treated differently because your sexuality is different. Oh, I don't believe in that. Get, you know, I'm not going to bake a cake for you. Rabbi, I think that's hurtful to people. Okay. Listen, I'm less, I'm more concerned with a person's actions Mm -hmm. than, uh, than what than a person's response to other uh, others' actions, uh, because if I am hypersensitive, then I could be hurt by anything you say. A person says to you, "If you have a guy on your show and you say something to him that is pretty innocuous, and he goes, i 'I'm offended.'" So what? You're offended. I mean, mm-hmm. your your offended is a completely subjective thing. So, I in that case, the gay couple come into the the bakery. You know, listen, the baker should have the ability to say yes or no. You have kids though, right? And the, only six. And, six. and, and the gay person, you know, he has the right to either ask the baker or to go to another bakery. Understood. But I don't think either of, and that's why I change it from hurtful to impose. Okay. But I, I understand, you can't totally understand down. what you're saying, Rabbi, but let's yeah. just say hypothetically speaking. Okay. And it's a different situation, but let's just say your daughter goes into a bakery store. Right. And the owner of the bakery says, I'm not going to serve you. You're Jewish. Right. I don't believe. Get out of here. You're Jewish. As a father, you wouldn't like that. That would hurt you, wouldn't it? Hold on. So I would teach my child. I think I have taught them. It's like, listen, that's your choice on whether to be to be hurt or offended. That's up to you. Mm-hmm. Okay. The guy's a jerk. Mm-hmm. Okay. But he's a jerk. So stay away from him. Mm-hmm. Right. If, if, if that doesn't make you feel good to be around a guy like that, stay away from him. If you don't want to be more like a guy like that. That's your choice. Stay away from them. But when you walk out of there, now you have a choice. You can put a smile on your face and say, and move forward, which by the way, having a, you know, just one of the benefits of religion, mm-hmm. the reason that religious people generally are, are happier and live longer and all that kind of stuff and all the studies say that is because you have the ability to say, listen, that doesn't affect me. It's, I, I live above that. So, so it's very diff, it's very hard to offend a person you know, a, a, a true, truly faith-based person who's living with the Almighty and a per- because they take responsibility. It, it's a little counterintuitive, but the, the, the trust in God, the belief in God teaches you to take personal responsibility for your emotions and your actions. I agree with what you're saying and what you're saying makes sense on how to deal with people like that. And yeah. I think you'll probably be a happier person and be less stressed out yeah. if, if you deal with it the way you're saying that you should deal with it, which I agree with. Sometimes that's just very difficult and everybody's different and they react differently to different people. But uh, obviously we hope people don't, um, <laughs> you know, treat others like that. Yeah. I want to I want to talk to you. If you're just uh, joining us, we're speaking with Rabbi Yvitz Wein, who uh, is from Young Israel, Rabbi of Young Israel. Uh, always enjoy that when he comes in. Um, I want to talk to you about some national issues. I know you were not a very big fan of Barack Obama. Um, and you're not afraid to say, I mean, you're, you're a conservative. Yep. Fair to say, right? Fair to say. Nothing wrong with that. I'm an, (laughs) I'm an independent, but you're not happy with Joe Biden, 
right? You're not happy with his administration, and I want to pick your brain a little bit and find out why. Okay. Tell me why you would not, you did not, and you would not vote for Joe Biden in the future. Tell me your frustrations with him and his administration. I, I don't think his administration governs the country uh, the way that I uh, accord, fully according to the values that I like. Um, I can see numerous problems. You know, uh, the immigration issue is a big issue. The inflation, the economy is a big issue. Um, uh, and uh, the, the representation of, of uh, what the United States of America, you know, is and should be. I think all of them are, I think those are, those are big issues to me. Um, so yeah, so I, I just, so Not let's start with immigration, if, if that's okay. Sure. Um, as you know, and I, I, I like to speak to people who don't like Joe Biden because I try to pick their brain. And yeah. I think sometimes people make some very valid points. And Joe Biden wasn't my first, second or third choice. I would pick him over Donald Trump every day, any day of the week. And I have plenty of reasons why. But when I think of immigration... This is an issue. To me, it's not a Democrat issue or a Joe Biden issue or a Republican issue. It's an American issue. And I agree Absolutely. with you. It is an issue. Yeah. And Republicans and Democrats need to come together. But we've had this for decades and decades and decades. And I try to figure out and I try to understand why does everybody want to blame Joe Biden for our problems at the border? Could he be doing better? Absolutely. Could our border be more secure? Absolutely. But, you know, we still had fentanyl coming across the border when Donald Trump was our president. Sure. Uh, we still had families being locked up in cages when Donald Trump was president. We had issues then. We have issues now. Um, and I try to understand and why is it just a Joe Biden problem? I'll tell you why. So under Barack Obama, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, uh, it's funny, the Latin community, the Latino community used to call him the, the deporter in chief, right? Because, he actually did a, uh, you know, he, he did a fair job at the, you know, the issue, mm-hmm. but he, but under, under Barack Obama, there was a lot of people coming in, but his administration did facilitate a lot of people like the correcting of that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that Donald Trump's administration did a lot better in that, in that, on that particular issue. Um, I think the wall, although, you know, people made a big issue. The optics of it maybe are not as nice, but, but the wall was a very good thing. The, the agreement with the stay in Mexico was a very good thing. Illegal immigration was, was down. And what Joe Biden did on, you know, what his administration did, like literally the first day, stopped the wall, uh, got rid of stay in Mexico. So went against those policies. And I think, again, a lot of them were not policies that were, uh, the, this was this was good for America to reduce the stem of illegal immigration, and uh, you know I think a responsible. I understand politicians in the respect that they are always beholden to their donors. They're beholden to their, their you know their donors are their primary employers. Uh, but uh, he did a he's done a lot of things because of politics not because it's for the good of the country Okay, so let me ask you a question then because of politics donald trump ran on i'm going to build a wall and mexico is going to pay for it would you say the same thing about donald trump don't you think he did that based on politics because number one mexico never paid for the wall that was a lie he never finished building the wall and every day up to leading running for office he said we're going to build a wall and mexico is going to pay for it don't you think that was the same that was for politics not for the good of the country okay so the issue of you know listen that was his uh that was his sales job Right. That was part of his oh, sales. Right, right. Right. Okay. And 
the reality is building the wall was very, very high, is highly effective. Now, he didn't finish the wall. You're correct. Um, but it could have been finished. And Mexico didn't pay for it. And Mexico didn't pay for it. But it could have been finished. But it, it's it's worth it for the United States to pay for it. it like the benefit, I, I believe, it's worth it for the United States but to pay for it. If you don't. But they, he should have, like Biden, I believe, just should have left things alone. The wall would have been finished. The stay in Mexico policy was good. And then he could have worked on many other things. There, there are other things that, that even in the democratic agenda, you know, there was DACA. There were other things that he could have just focused on. Mm-hmm. And we would not be sitting here today with, uh, many of these, uh, you know, <laughs> democratic cities, sanctuary cities now stopping and saying, Oh my gosh, now it's happening. Like, I really do think there was a very big mess up on his administration, but I, I don't know if that's the most important thing you want to talk about. No, but, I want to talk about yeah. a lot of different topics, but yeah. that's one of yeah. your, I, I, I just uh, think that, you know, those who overstay their visas are, are the overwhelming majority of people that are undocumented in this country, not people that cross the border. So that's why I think if we do talk yeah. about the wall, okay, that could be one deterrent, but uh, people that overstay their visas, that, that that's the big problem in this country, but I never hear Republicans talk about that. They, right. I, I listen, these these issues, and anytime you talk about top politics, I think it's important to like, almost like, you know, mm-hmm. set as a, as a, as a, as a prequel, <laughs> you know, before yep. I say what I'm going to say, let me tell you, <laughs> right. You got to know, I know that any of these, all these issues are way more complicated. They are. They're way more complicated. And what we do is we, we reduce everything down to sound bites. And then because we still can't get it in right. a sound bite, we start with personal attacks. So we say, this guy's an idiot. She's a witch. Chances are she's not as much as a witch as you think she is. And he's not as much of an idiot as we think he is. Well, when I talk about Donald Trump, I absolutely well, think he is. Well, you think he's... <laughs> <laughs> that's absurd. No, but, but, but as a man of faith, yeah. right? As a good man, a family man, a man of faith as you are, when you hear somebody that you voted for say, these Mexicans crossing the border, they're rapists, they're bad people, and I suppose yeah. some of them are good people... That has to bother you as a man of faith. You know that the overwhelming majority of these people that are undocumented, they want a better life for themselves and their families. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, has to bother yeah, you, listen, that kind of language. Yeah, right. So I'll look at various things he'll say and I'll say, oh my gosh, whatever. But again, you know, what we're doing is we're, and absolutely, the answer is yes. The answer is you can hear certain things you say and say, oh, how in the world does a person say like that? Um, you know, but I, I think that anytime you're looking at, at, uh, you know, the next presidential, you know, race, you know, you're going to have all sorts of people are going to come out. And at the beginning, everyone's going to say, Oh, he's great. And then everything mm-hmm. seems to come out in the wash eventually. And no one's really perfect and no one's totally clean. And everyone's making faux pas. And I, I think it's, it's always good to take a step back and say, okay, what yeah. is the job? Like for me, the president of the United States is not my moral guide or my moral compass. Mm-hmm. So I've never, I have never, um, looked at a president and said, okay, you know what? He's doing something that I find personally distasteful. But as the leader of the free world, don't you think somebody should be a role model and should have a moral compass? So I don't think any politician should be held as the moral role model. I think it's a job. And I think you have to identify your five or six most important things you want from a politician to make sure they're doing. And if they're doing those things, then society will but continue to move forward. if you have forward. a rabbi running a synagogue, 
you would like to know he's that, a, that he's a rabbi. Understood. That that's his job. His job is to be the moral compass. To lead, right. Yeah. To lead those yeah. that are in his synagogue. Yeah. And I know you might not think it's a good analogy, but I think when you're the president of the United States, it is your job to lead the country. It doesn't matter what religion you are or what you look like. You should be a moral compass. Now, Bill Clinton wasn't. Okay. Uh, I'll be the first one to say that. Donald Trump certainly wasn't. <laughs> Why can't we have both? And I know you don't like Joe I, Biden. I don't think you can have both. Like, like I look at Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was a decent president. He was. Like, he, he was decent. Okay, now, but yeah. Probably a rapist. Right, but, but and he, so much schmutz. Uh, so much <laughs> schmutz. <laughs> like, dirt filth. I like it really, like, it's just real gross stuff yeah. between him and Hillary. It's like, and then when you get into it and the, and the relationship with Epstein and like, I mean, it just go, you can go dig and dig and it's horrible. But mm-hmm. under his tutelage, the country, the economy did very well. It's pretty safe. The Middle East was, yeah, okay. We, we didn't have an insurrection, right? Right. <laughs> it was okay, right? In other words, so I'm not gonna like I jump down the throat that that thing. I hear you. And and you know, every job, by the way, mm-hmm. has a uh, when you're an employee any place, mm-hmm. probably even in this in this radio station, um, there's probably a clause, a moral clause. Mm-hmm. Like if you did something that was that con- hurts the business, right? yeah, that can make the business look bad. So then that's grounds no for question. termination. But, but so, I think there are levels, right, Rabbi? Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, you know, moral compass. That's the way you vote. That's yeah. fine. I respect yeah. that. But when somebody attacks our democracy and lies and says he won the election in a landslide, you know Donald Trump didn't win the 2020 election. He still does that today. And now we're learning that even locally, Michael McDonald, and I'm going to get into this story a little bit later, but the Republican chair taking the fifth over 200 times wouldn't answer questions about these fake electorates and stuff. I mean, this is an attack on the country. This is an attack on our democracy. And this is, to me, a lot more important than someone who just says bad things about people and says, we're, we're talking about our democracy at stake here. You would vote for Donald Trump again? Uh, I, I wouldn't. I think Donald Trump has many problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think one problem was like at the end, you know, when he, when he stood up and he said, you know, right after the election, he said it was, it was illegally stolen from him. Right. I think it's very off brand, by the way. Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, Donald Trump is a winner. Well, winners don't have things illegally stolen from them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and then it was contrary to the evidence presented in court. Sure. So in other words, so he has many issues, uh, many issues. I don't think, you know, when the January 6th committee just came out and they had this long drawn out process, um, you know, I don't think any of the, the charges they're going to hold, uh, are going to, uh, by the DOJ are going to hold up to anything because I don't think, Anything they said, everything they said, we knew on January 7th. There was nothing they said, you know, and so I think the January 6th committee and that stuff, it's not bipartisan. They're all enemies of Donald Trump. Morally speaking, forget about Uh, legally. uh, Do you you think he's responsible? So, so no, morally, I don't think he's responsible. I I don't think when he stood up and he said very clearly, he marched peacefully to the Capitol. I think at that moment, once he says that, he's not responsible. The people who went in the Capitol, and you obviously- well, why were they there? Oh, hold on. They were there to cause problems. To overthrow our democracy. They right? are, they, the people who went into the Capitol, mm-hmm. the six people with guns, and there were only six of them, right? That's how you know it's like, not, was not an organized insurrection, by the way, because he had six people with guns and a bunch of people with screwdrivers. Well, if you're going to go in, you know, like bring your arm, your, your guns and your AK 47s and that, 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 that's what an insurrection is. Okay. So it's obviously not an organized thing. So you didn't think it was an insurrection. Uh, it, it was people. It was, it was a mob. 
mm-hmm. of criminals mm-hmm. that are going in, and every one of those criminals should be prosecuted. Mm-hmm. They should all be prosecuted. And most of them have, yeah. But but Donald Trump, but in the same way that like, I I just want you to know, like, I have more disdain for Kamala Harris for bailing out so many of those rioters uh, you know, in the country when they're burning down police stations and courthouses and ruining Minneapolis and ruining Seattle. And she's out there leading the charge to bail the, the people well, out. She wasn't bailing them out. She was allowing them to get uh, fair legal representation. There's so, a difference, right? There, there's a difference, but she was, she was, uh, the, the, she and Because Matt, in the history of this country, and, and while, while I don't condone what yeah. behavior that you're talking about, yeah. in the history of this country, as you know, many minorities, Many of which who, who maybe don't have the legal, uh, the money to, to get proper legal okay. representation. That's what a guy did. sets fire to a police station, which is awful, is also a criminal. No, no less of a, no less of a criminal than the guy who, the who goes into the Capitol to hang Mike Pence. Right, but the difference uh, it's all the same. But the difference being yeah. is you couldn't name me a politician that uh, told them to light things on fire. Ah, uh, hold on, that's so true. Who? Because if you stop, you, you no. If you stop, you're making a comparison. I'm, I'm jumping on your comparison. Well, you brought up Black Lives Matter. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so when, when, when all those politicians, when they did not immediately condemn the riots, they became. Who didn't condemn the riots? None of them condemned the riots at the beginning. Like Kamala Harris did, Biden did. They all made statements and they said that violence is not the answer. They all made statements and they came out and they said that we don't want to harm police officers. We don't want to. They did not come out in condemnation. Of the riots, they absolutely did not. They, I mean, there was so many. So I, I mean, I could find you so plenty many. of quotes where they all said that they don't support violence and and we and we don't want them in society. I could also I, tell you that yeah. during January sixth, Donald Trump sat in the Oval Office at the dining room table for five hours, chuckling at the TV screen. But, but again, but again, but again, that is egregious and disgusting. Mm-hmm. Is it illegal? I don't think it's illegal. All right. Well, hear me out on this. Yeah. It's um, like, but it's, okay. It I don't, be, I don't, I don't be. think that that behavior is good. I think it can be. And illegal. the other one's also not good, but it, it can be illegal. Yeah. But, but here, to me, here's the difference. Well, no. I haven't heard one Democrat praise violence at Black Lives Matter protests. There's a fine difference. And you tell me if you agree or not. The people that were, uh, uh, Black Lives Matter protests that were protesting, the overwhelming majority of them obviously were not bad people and, and they were not burning down buildings. There was a percentage of people that did, small percentage. But most of those people there at Black Lives Matter protests were there for, for equality. The people on January 6th were there because they wanted to uh, overthrow an election based on a lie on Donald Trump. To me, that is a very important distinction. While I don't condone any sort of violence, uh, whether it be Black Lives Matter or January 6th, um, that was trying to overthrow our democracy based on the Donald Trump big lie, where Black Lives Matter protests around the country erupted because they wanted uh, many of the – and by the way, I went to a few of those protests yeah. – uh, police brutality. Uh, minorities wanted to be treated as equals. I just think there's a big difference there. And while I haven't heard one Democrat condone violence at Black Lives Matter protest, I, I in my personal opinion, I think that's a right-wing talking point. Um, I don't know why – Every single time I bring up January 6th, a lot of people want to bring up Black Lives Matter protests. To me, it's apples and oranges. These are two completely different things. Nobody condones violence. Uh, 140 officers were injured um, January 6th, and many officers were injured during Black Lives Matter. Pro- it's terrible. I don't want to see any of that. The reason – I think the reason there were so many protests mm-hmm. was because – and it went on for so long – was because there was no condemnation – of it. There really was not. There was so little condemnation. The only one, like, Trump condemned it. 
Uh, Trump said, okay, I'll send in the, the National Guard. And he offered, I'll send the National Guard to send the National Guard. The governor said, no, don't do it. You know, Democratic Guard in, in Washington, like, you know, Seattle, Washington, the state of Washington, state of, state of, uh, Oregon. They Why said, didn't no. he send the National Guard on January 6th? If he was so quick to send the National Guard during Black Lives Matter protests, uh, his congressmen and congresswomen that, that were there, their lives so, threatened. So, Why didn't he do so that? remember, well, I'll remind something that you, you know. That area, that is actually Nancy Pelosi's um, area. So she was responsible for, she was responsible for the police force. She was responsible for. Right, but Donald Trump uh, had the ability to okay, call the National so, Guard. So she, she was that, see, again, you know, the, and I think one of, the, one of the issues, and it's important that people don't get wrapped up in this point, is you, if, you, you know, there's an expression. If you go wrestle with a pig, you get muddy, Okay. <laughs> and a lot of, and and the politicians are playing both sides literally both sides of the aisle when the violence seems to be good for them they let it go and they're very not so quick to condemn it when it doesn't go good for them then they condemn it and they're playing so but and a destructive act is still a destructive act i mean it, it just is and so it's important i think for people with a voice like you and me that it's that you don't get wrapped up in that in in that confusion that they are that that's exactly what they're doing. So that's the that's the issue. Yeah. Uh, again, you know, I just go back. To, but r- r- ride back over to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Ride back to the, your point. What's your message that you want to get to when it comes to what when it comes to what specifically? You know, even even this discussion you brought in the January 6th. Right. OK, so what's the what's we are? Well, we are very divided on a lot for a lot of different reasons yeah. in this country, okay. whether it be religion, whether it be politics. And I respect your opinion. And uh, as somebody who is Jewish myself. I would never want Donald Trump representing me. I don't care what he does for Israel. Okay, so it's, so again, you know, uh, I, I, again, you know, I, I, I think I, I think of a rabbi. Why, think oh, of, hold on, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> why is that interesting to you? Interesting? Yeah. Why is it interesting? Because I try to understand okay. at this point what conservatives and what Republicans are doing well for this country. Okay. What Republicans stand for. Okay. And I don't have an answer. I know what Democrats stand for, and I'm not a Democrat, okay. but I certainly lean to the left when it comes to social issues. I'll be the first one to admit that. When I think of Democrat, I think of they want equality, gay rights. They want somebody to be who they are no matter what their sexuality is. They want to help the poor. Uh, whether it be welfare or food stamps, okay. you can disagree with those programs or maternity leave or whatever the case may be. They want to be able to give a woman the right to choose. Um, when I think of Democrat, tax the rich. These are, you know, when I hear Republican these days, I have no idea what Republicans do. I, I could have answered that question 10 years ago. I have Reagan Republicans in studio all the time. Okay. I love having them in and I know exactly what they represent. Uh, I have no idea what Republicans stand for today. No clue. Tell me. I don't know. So it's an interesting thing. I, I, um, I was scratching my head a lot mm-hmm. in the last uh, election, right? You know, a few days before election day. Um, look, wondering why in Nevada, uh, all these Republicans, I, I really thought it was going to be a Democratic sweep. 
right? Did you really? I didn't think that. I, I thought it was going to be totally really? <laughs> Yeah, I did. And I was looking at the polls. All, you know, the polls were very, very close. It was like everything was like everything was in the margin of error. Sure. I really thought Sisolak was going to win. I really I thought. Get to. I get you. You know, I looked, I, I looked at all these people. I'm like, this, this, this is nuts. And then I went to uh, two people that are like really much more engaged in the in the Nevada Republican Party. Yep. You know, that I, I said, okay, what's the issue? And he said, Straight out, listen, Republicans, they shoot themselves in the foot. They're not clear on their messaging and they're not clear and they're not good at developing talent of like really qualified candidates to, to, to run. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you're not clear on it is no surprise. It's no surprise. Conservative values, I believe, and again, I don't speak for the party and I'm not a politician. I understand, but I want to get your thoughts. But conservative on it. values believe in some of the things that you said, mm-hmm. you know, certainly believe in democracy, in equal rights, in respect, in making sure there's a safety net for, you know, you know, for, for the, uh, disadvantaged, underprivileged. And also believes that people should take advantage, should be given the opportunity. Everyone, they in meritocracy, right? In other words, that that you should have the opportunity to advance as much as you can in society based on your merit, not okay. based on your skin color or Understood. any you know religion. Can I go with some of those things that you just mentioned? Sure. I want to pick your brain on that. You said Republicans believe in democracy. If they believe in democracy, why do seven out of 10 Republicans think that Donald Trump won the 2020 election? If they believe in respect, why on earth would be Donald Trump, Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gaetz, Jim Jordan? Why would these people be the faces of the Republican Party? Because I don't think they show respect at all when they, if they believe in the poor, why are they against basically every government policy that would help poor people? Food stamps, welfare, helping a woman raise a child. I hear what you're saying, and maybe that was the case 10 or 15 years ago, but I don't believe Republicans believe in what you just listed just now. Just look at the way they vote. They were against the bill to lower the cost of prescription drugs and insulin. Then we had an issue with baby formula, right? All Republicans wanted to blame Joe Biden for that. And then when Republicans had a chance to vote for, for, to put something on the books to get more baby formula, they vote, they voted no. Not because they want to, you know, they want to help the country. It's because they wanted to hurt Joe Biden and Democrats. So I believe everything you just said when it comes to Reagan Republicans. And I believe you're probably one of those people. But today, you believe that Republicans in the party today, the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Jim Jordans, Donald Trump, they believe in democracy, respect, and helping the poor? I just don't believe that. I think if you sat down with them, they would, they, each and every one of them, again, I don't know Marjorie Taylor Greene, and I don't know Donald Trump. I've shaken his hand, but I don't know him. Okay. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you do that? Well, he was campaigning. I introduced myself to him, and then I said to him, I said, is there going to be a kosher kitchen in the White House? <laughs> Did you say that? Yeah, That's yeah. funny. And he goes, there should be. And I go, will there be? And then he said, keep having fun, Rabbi. And then he moved on. <laughs> that, that's my personal, uh, you know, uh, interaction with him. Okay. Anyway, so things like this. Um, I, you know, I don't know the, the individual of these people, but I, I am very, uh, confident that if you were sitting down with them, then they would explain each and every point in terms of, yeah, the, the, you know, this is how a safety net for the poor should work. And again, it goes back to that issue that, all of these econo- all of these economic uh, issues, all these political issues are much more complicated than you can jump out and say, oh, you didn't vote to lower the cost of prescription drugs. Hold the phone. There are so many issues involved with lowering the cost of prescription drugs 
that, okay, you don't have enough time on air and none of your guests are educated enough to actually identify, okay, these are all the issues there. You know, if you take a, a, a more simple issue, a, a, a more simple issue would be energy independence. Okay. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, if the country's energy independent, then things are the, the cost of mm-hmm. doing the business is lower. The cost, you know, it keeps inflation down. It's, it's all that stuff. Right. That goes against a far left, uh, democratic, which was, you know, this is part of your question in terms of like one of the reasons, like I'm not a fan of uh, the Joe Biden administration. Again, day one, you know, killed the Keystone pipeline. Day two. Th- so he did a lot of stuff. And again, it was only to satisfy the people that he has to satisfy his, 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 his uh, close knit supporters. Um, but it was wrong. It was wrong for the country. It caused all, you know, not being, not continuing energy independence has caused a lot of problems in this country. So, um, and, 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 and there's a ripple effect. So I think a, a lot of things is like, no, take care of that one. Take care, you know, that's, so, so that's the story. Maybe we could open up the phone lines. Always like getting a few calls. Let's do that. Um, 702-221-7283 is the number to call. We have Rabbi Yitzwein in studio from Young Israel. Good conversation we're having. Uh, again, that number, if you want to be a part of the conversation, you can give us a call now at 702-221-7283. You know, I think of the word you use, democracy, and I, and I ask you this question because I think it's an important one. If Republicans believe in democracy, and I do believe some of them absolutely do, I'm sure you do, then why is it in most polls out there, it's either 6 out of 10 or 7 out of 10 of Republicans still believe that Donald Trump won the 2020 election? Is it one of two things? Is it they're just ignorant or they know the truth and they're just liars and they don't want to face reality because we all know that Donald Trump did not win. If they believe in democracy, what is Carrie Lake doing in Arizona? She's nuts, uh, Rabbi. She's nuts. I'm sorry. I don't even know what else to – it's bad. It's dangerous. Carrie Lake didn't win. Donald Trump didn't win. Right here locally, Jim Marchant, another nut job, another election denier. Not one election denier, one secretary of state across the country, which I think is a good thing. Um, this – if they believe in democracy, then then why can't they admit Donald Trump lost the election? So there's a big difference between saying I believe in democracy and then saying I'm confident that the system that is going uh, is 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 working. Mm-hmm. I I am pretty confident the system works. I'm I'm pretty confident that there's enough checks and balances. I'm also confident there's some measure of election fraud that's out there i don't necessarily think there's enough to swing any particular race of course yeah but there's but the system's not perfect it's going to be fraud there's 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 some measure and 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 every administration has always got to work to reduce it and and that that kind of thing so you know and and so so that's the issue but let's go over to something even more important for you okay because you only have me for a few more minutes yes you're welcome to stay till 1.30. Thank you. You're a busy man. <laughs> you need to know about Hanukkah. Yes, sir. Because I don't... I know about spinning the dreidel. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> Hanukkah's had the good fortune of always falling around Christmas. Mm-hmm. But it's it's um, it's not the Jewish Christmas. It's not Jewish Christmas. Um, Why isn't it one day? 
Ah, instead of one day of presence, eight crazy nights. <laughs> you know Adam Sandler's song. You yes, play. I do. You I should, love Adam Sandler. You should play it. I love Adam. Okay, Sandler. Okay, there you go. So it's, it's uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of wisdom behind the song. Actually, uh, <laughs> I do I do dislike Gefilte Fish though. Uh, yeah, well, you know, not everyone. You know, <laughs> maybe you're Sparty at heart. I don't know. All right, absolutely. Am I a bad Jew because yeah, I eat bacon? Have, Does that make me a horrible person? It makes you. I like bacon. Okay, so way. so okay, so if a person's not Jewish, <laughs> eat all the bacon you want. If you're Jewish, yes. The uh, for every person, the most important thing is is have a relationship with God. And if you're not sure whether or not God exists, yeah. So then you inquire about it, struggle with it, look for it. Yes. Because as as we discussed earlier, just having a relationship with God. But what does eating God a awareness. pig have to do with that? Well, a lot of it. Because see, there's. <laughs> I don't do understand. Not, Help me. Do you know how many commandments there are in the Torah? I do not. There are 613. I did not know that. Yeah, 600. That's a lot of commandments. It's a lot of commandments. Ten famous ones. Mm-hmm. Of course. But 613 commandments in the Torah. It, every commandment is an opportunity to get pleasure out of one's life. Mm-hmm. Now, again, a person that is coming from a Jewish perspective, meaning that there is a God and, and, uh, God created us. He know, he's the, he knows what's best for us. So he's looking at every Jewish soul. And he says, for a Jewish soul, every one of these commandments will help the person get more out of life, get more pleasure out of you life. You get more out of life by not eating bacon. Yeah. Now, the thing is like this. There are going to be some commandments that it's going to be real easy to figure out. Like, why Why does this enhance my life? Like, for example, you have a commandment, don't steal. So if a person is very careful to be honest, then they will live a better life. Well, yeah. how, how is that so obvious? Because a person who steals is always going to be thinking that everyone else is going to steal from them. But, but we're talking about, I mean, listen, stealing is one thing, but eating bacon, eating a BLT, why is that a well, sin? Well, that, well that, that's the whole thing. It's, it's going to be something that's on the spiritual level. The Talmud will tell us that if a person, you know, kind of you are what you eat, that the, all the laws of keeping kosher, which would include not eating bacon, not eating shellfish, not eating lobster. But what does right? it matter that if a rabbi kills the meat or not? Well, I don't understand. Well, that. Not, oh, that, that, that's another law, right? Uh, okay, but which we can come to. Okay. But every law of kashrut is based on the idea of a, of, of a spiritual sensitivity. So that if a person keeps kosher, mm-hmm. then their potential to feel the Almighty to connect with God would be uh, enhanced. And if a person didn't eat kosher, no lightning bolts, but their ability to connect with the Almighty, to feel the Almighty's messages, so then there is a, literally a skin on the heart, so to speak, where it's, 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 they have a less ability. Now, again, you kind of have to be a believer to get that. Right? I can believe that there's a higher power out there, but okay. I can also believe that there's no difference between eating cow meat and eating pig meat. I don't understand. It's a, it's an animal. You're killing the animal personally, and I'm just giving you my yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care whether a priest kills the meat or yeah. a rabbi kills the meat. I could care less. Right. I want to make sure I don't have E. coli. I want to make sure it was cooked <laughs> properly, okay. and it tastes good. Now, is it good for you? No, it's not. I'll tell you something else. I don't. Most religious Jewish people, like yourself— you won't drive on Friday or Saturday. Right. Sabbath, right? Right. I don't understand that. I think that there, if there is a God out there, yeah. he would want you to enjoy yourself. Go to dinner on a Friday night. Drive somewhere. Go, go to a business. My mom does not drive. She's religious. She does not drive Friday or Saturday. I say, Mom, why? I don't understand. If there is a God out there, wouldn't he want you to enjoy life and not take uh, 
I don't know, a day and a half to not be able to use electricity or not drive a car. Right. Uh, I think religion should be more about enjoying the things we have in life. Now, legally, that's just my personal opinion. And okay. I respect it's not about disrespect. So, so it's so interesting. So you get what I'm saying. It, I totally. But that's exact, exactly the purpose of the commandments. You know, it's, it's so interesting. So, so, um, you know, one of the most freeing things that people that did not observe the Sabbath, they didn't observe Shabbos, and then they started observing Shabbos, um, what they very often tell me is, this phone mm-hmm. is the most freeing thing in, in the world. Mm. Imagine for a moment where you turn off your phone from Friday night, Saturday night, and you don't, you know, and everyone knows your phone is off. So that all of a sudden you're not holding it, you're not looking at it, checking an email. Checking a text. Now, there are so many people that, you know, they need their phone all the time because, you know, they got to pretend they're busy. They got to pretend they're important or they all want it. They have to be connected. You put your phone down, put the tablet down. Okay. Now you're going to say, I'm going to be connected with my family and I'm going to be connected with my friends. Connected, meaning we're going to talk with each other, right? right? Right. I go into a coffee shop in, uh, I think it's in Breckenridge. Or in Keystone, one of these ski resorts. And it says, pretend like it's 1970, put your phones down and actually talk to the person in front of you. Because <laughs> mm, yeah. people don't do that, right? I agree with you. you get when it? it comes to phones, phones ha- help, but they also hurt. Some people like myself, you're on your phone too much. Yeah. You forget about human interaction. I think it's hurt millennials. Yeah. So I agree with you there. Um, you know, so, you know, listen, I, 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 one time I'm sitting there having, uh, I'm sitting there having a discussion with Gene Simmons from Kiss. No way. Yeah. How'd so, you meet him? so, uh, whatever he used to be, whatever he used He's to do. Jewish guy. Jewish guy used to do business Aren't they with all Jewish and Kiss, by the way. I don't, th- I don't know if they all are. Oh, okay. But, but, okay. <laughs> so I got to sit down with him. He's telling me about his life and how he went to Yeshiva when he was young. He grew up, went to Torah Vadas Yeshiva. Right. Which is a very respected place in New York. Yeah. And then he, um, and then, you know, then after he left high school, he decided not to be religious and you know, not to be observant and then he, that kind of stuff. But he's clearly, he actually is a very religious guy. He's just not a ritually observant. I would have never known religious. that about him. Gene Simmons yeah. is a religious Jew. I yeah, yeah, yeah it really is. I, I said to him when I left, I go, Gene, you are a sinning Orthodox Jew. That's what you are. <laughs> what did he say? He said, he laughed. He goes, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. <laughs> so he goes, I, I go, so why did you stop like doing all the observance things? He goes, because, Rabbi, I can't believe that a God who creates the world needs something from me. I said, me neither. And he looked at me. I go, yeah, that's right, me neither. No, no educated Jew thinks that God needs anything from you. God didn't need anything from us. He's infinite. What can you, what, what can you add to something infinite? No, God created us for our pleasure. Wait a second. As you've identified, there's a lot of restrictions in those 613 commandments. But every one of those restrictions is there to enhance our pleasure, to enhance our connection and our enjoyment with life. But the only way you're going to figure that out is if you learn about it and you experience it. I understand in religion, you have to make sacrifices. In life, you have to make sacrifices. In relationships, you have to make sacrifices. I understand all that. And it's just maybe the way my brain is programmed. I'm willing to make certain sacrifices. For example, when I was younger... Um, I wanted to be out with my friends having fun, but instead I was hitting golf balls every day because my parents didn't have a lot of money and I needed to get a college scholarship. That was a sacrifice that I made. Um, you know, uh, you know, paying my way through school, for example. Uh, you could still make the argument now, but when I first started my career in radio, I was not making a lot of money. It was a sacrifice I had to make because I 
Love Radio. Um, so I understand. Brian, you're going to meet a great Jewish girl. You're going to connect. You're gonna oh, say, just a great girl. Uh, great Jewish girl. You're going to say, listen, we have stuff in common. We want a monogamous relationship. We want a real relationship. And then when you're at some, you know, networking fundraiser or whatever, some hot chick is going to walk up to you and give you the eye. And then you're going to have to make the decision. Yeah. And you're going to say, listen, yeah. I want the real relationship or I want the temporary pleasure of right now. And that is, that is every command. I think, I think every command falls. I hear like you. That. I think That's you right. have to know who you are as yeah. an individual. How long have you been uh, married? If you don't mind me. Asking. Uh, 32 years. That is awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I, I don't know if I could have a serious, it's sad that I'm saying this, but I'm being honest. I'm always honest on the air. Right. I don't know if I could ever have a serious relationship with someone who is extremely religious. A little religious? No problem. <laughs> extremely. I'm talking about going to synagogue every, I, I can't do that. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I like to do things in life that I enjoy. And then it goes back to sacrifice, right? I understand there's sacrifice. I wouldn't enjoy going to church any more than I would particularly enjoy going to sitting. Like, and I don't mean to offend somebody yeah. like you. You've spent your life, and I respect the hell out of what you do and what yeah. you've done with your life. It's it's nothing against it, yeah. but I'm just – it's just not me. See, I, I again, I think one of the things that holds um, uh, people in your position – uh, back from growth in, in religion mm-hmm. is I don't even view it as sacrifice. I don't even use the word. I, I use the word of priorities. But you enjoy it's going to synagogue. So absolutely. You love it. It's your life. And so I respect I'll, it. So when I first started, like, you know, really getting into this, I'm probably 18, 19 years old. I'm yeah, in yeah. school. I'm in yeshiva. And it's like, right. And, uh, prayer, going to prayer was not that I was not into it at all. Mm-hmm. Right. So the learning I loved praying, no way. Um, it's kind of like an acquired taste. You like beer, you know, it's like for some, uh, okay, you drink enough of it, then you like it. Right. So, um, so I said, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to teach a class in the prayer book, in the Siddur, mm-hmm. and I'll learn it. So I'll learn, cause the learning I, I, I loved. And then when I learned through it and I taught other people, then I developed a passion for prayer. So now I would tell you the prayer is one of my favorite things to do. Yeah. It's, but it was only because you learn through it. And I think every time you're not, you're not like, looking at somebody that, that is an atheist, uh, you know, and I'll give you an example of some sort of faith, right? I hadn't seen my grandmother's, um, uh, gravesite in 30 years. I'm okay. ashamed to say she's on the other side of the country. I okay. made it a point. One of the main reasons why I went out there to see my family and to see my grandmother's grave. And I talked Beautiful. to her and I said to myself, and I talk to her sometimes even mm-hmm. when I'm here. <laughs> and I said to myself, yeah, there's probably a one in a billion chance that she can hear me. But that one in a billion chance, I am going to talk to her. And I did. Right. And that is somewhat of a faith. Um, even though in the back of my head, and maybe I get this from my dad, is that, yeah, she's, she's dead and, Maybe there's not a heaven, but uh, but I'm going to give it a shot anyway. And then worst thing that can happen is I feel close to her by me talking to her. Right. And that's what I did. Um, and I believe that's what religion is. I believe it's a faith-based. Um, we don't know anything for sure. We have no idea what happens after you die. We don't know if there's a heaven and hell. We don't know anything. There could be a million gods. There could be one god. There could be no gods. Listen, you, you got to learn it. You got to just study it, and then you see how you connect. You know, my rabbi tells a story of how one of his former students, you know, was going to MIT, right? And he um, he went to Israel 
just like on a trip. And then, cause he was Jewish. And then, you know, if you go to Israel, you got to go to the Western wall and he goes down and to the wall. And the guy was, he was like, mm-hmm. he just didn't know anything. He considered himself agnostic, whatever. Maybe yeah. he can't know there's God. So he's looking at the wall and the way he tells the story, he's like, I was looking at the wall and I said to the wall, I said, God, I don't know if you exist, but if you, as far as I know, I'm talking to a wall, but if you do exist, send me a sign. Just then, a guy taps me on the shoulder. He said, hi, would you like to go meet a wise man? Would you like to go to yeshiva? The guy says, what's yeshiva? Yeshiva is a place you learn about God. He goes, it was like someone hit me in the head with a sledgehammer. Picked up, went up, spoke to my rabbi, this and that, hung around for like a week. He's on a bus in Jerusalem. He sees a girl on the bus and he says, okay, God, I'm still not convinced you exist. But if you do exist, that's the kind of girl I want. Mm-hmm. Okay. So anyway, he picks up, he goes back to Boston and, uh, and he sees, and, and, and there was someone, a friend of his, whatever it said, why don't you come to the synagogue one day? You just came back from Israel with it. He goes to Israel and he sees the girl like during Kiddush afterwards. And he goes up to her, he says, I think I saw you in Jerusalem. And she turned and said, you know what? I saw you too. Two of them ended up getting married, they got kids, and now the guy's a religious guy. That's incredible. It's a great story. But I think part of it is like, God, I don't know you exist, but if you are, then just like, show me. And I think that that's just part of the exploration. Of course. So, of course. Well, Rabbi, I know you're a very busy guy. And uh, awesome. of course, I appreciate you coming in as always. And I always love the conversations we have. And even though we might not agree on everything, yeah. I think our, use the term moral compass, are, are very similar. Good. And I think that's the most important thing. And I, I, I respect the hell out of what you do. Thanks. Tell me before I let you go, because I know we got a couple more minutes here, then we got to go to break. Tell me a little bit about Young Israel and uh, the things you do there, the good things you do there at Young Israel every day. For- well, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. So first of all, Young Israel is a uh, Young Israel age. Uh, we are a synagogue, community synagogue. It's really a big uh, community. Um, we are the largest Orthodox synagogue in the city, mm-hmm. uh, located in, near Pacoli Ranch, in Pacoli Ranch on, on Sahara, right next to Village Square. There's a, the Sahara West Library, it's Sahara in Fort Apache. And we have, uh, several, you know, there's an American community and there's an Israeli community. There's mm-hmm. a few hundred people every Shabbat morning, every Saturday morning. And we do a lot, there's a lot of classes, a lot of programs, a lot of kids programs, adult programs, different ages. And the main thing that we're doing is, is, um, you know, for the people, we're facilitating people's growth in Judaism, whatever level they are. So it's a, it's a no judgment zone. People come in. There's some people that are super observant. There are some people that are totally, you know, mildly observant. Some people married to non-Jews. Some people like totally not observant at all, but they're all connecting with the Jewish community. And, uh, and then once you have a community and you have a little, a little bit of communal structure, um, you know, so then you, you can grow. And, uh, it's a, as we say, you only need community when you need community. Yeah. Some good happens, some bad happens. Then, yeah. you know, you gather together and, uh, a lot of wonderful people. Everyone's invited to come on by. And, uh, a, a great time to come by is Saturday mornings. Show up Saturday mornings. I gotta do that one day. Just come by. Find me a nice Jewish girl. 11 o'clock, 1130. <laughs> and then you just, I say, come for the kiddish, you know, yeah. come for the schmoozing part. And because of you, yeah. Rabbi, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna make an effort. I'm gonna make an effort. Okay. To stay away from bacon. Good. All oh, that's awesome. All because of you. Oh my I, gosh. I, I am, I am thinking in my head as this conversation is going, if it's not good for me, right? My mother will tell me not to yeah, eat it. Yeah, right, right, right. And I am going to make an effort. Okay. So next time you go to a non-kosher restaurant, look through. If you see oh, the I bacon. Kosher. I love kosher food. Right. But you go in there and you see bacon on the menu, you say, I'm not going to eat it because I'm Jewish. 
That's all. Ooh. Just say because I'm Jewish, and then, and then, I'm not eating. And then that. hopefully Kanye's not in there with a gun. Yeah, yeah hopefully that's horrible, all, that's all. Horrible show. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Rabbi, in all seriousness. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I love having Ian, Ian Rabbi. Great. great conversation, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. Have a happy Hanukkah. Yes, happy Hanukkah to you oh. and your family as well. Awesome. All right, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, oh, we got some uh, Sean Hannity news, uh, and it has something to do with Donald Trump. We'll explain that when we come back. We got Kevin Kruger, the head UNLV basketball coach, coming up in hour number two as well. Stay here. We'll be right back. Right after this, you're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Excellent. You're awesome. All right. Welcome back, everybody. It is Pushing the Limits on a Thursday. Oh, yeah. So glad you could join us. And uh, coming up here at the bottom of the hour, we got a big UNLV basketball game tonight. And it is big because it's a pretty good team. Southern Miss coming to town tonight. And uh, UNLV head basketball coach Kevin Kruger will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. Listen, that's a good conversation with the rabbi. I respect him a lot. He's a decent man. He's a good man, good family man, and I respect him a great deal. I just don't agree with a lot of what he said when it comes to politics, not religion. A lot of his comments with religion, I don't disagree with at all, even though I'm not an extremely religious person. But when I ask him what Republicans stand for, and he says democracy, respect, and then I see the face of the Republican Party being Donald Trump, that's the opposite of democracy and respect. So with all due respect to the rabbi, I disagree with him on that. I also do not believe that Republicans stand for helping the poor. Uh, I, when you look at policies and you and by the way, when he brings up the pharmaceuticals, well, there's a lot of things that go into why Republicans. No, no, there's not. It's very simple. The pharmaceuticals, those are in the back pockets of the Republicans, and they want to make sure that these pharmaceutical companies continue to make billions at the hands of people dying every day. There's not a lot of thinking going, so I, I disagree with the rabbi when it comes to that. I also disagree with the rabbi when every time I bring up January 6th, uh, Republicans want to bring up the riots, Black Lives Matter protest. And by the way, Kamala Harris did not try to get everybody out scot-free. That is a right-wing talking point, and it is a lie. What Kamala Harris did is she did what she could to help get these people proper legal representation. I noticed that the rabbi didn't bring up those January 6th insurrectionists. And by the way, it was an insurrection. I disagree with him on that. Do you know how many right-wingers out there were raising money for legal representation for the January 6th insurrectionist? He didn't bring that up. So listen, we need to be fair here. I try to be fair on this show. I like the rabbi very much. I have a lot of respect for him, but I'm talking about politics now, not religion. Let's be fair. Not one Democrat condoned violence January 6th, or I'm sorry, during the Black Lives Matter protest. And he's wrong. People like Joe Biden, even Kamala Harris, Democrats across the board called out the violence and said it was wrong. So he's wrong. They did do that. It's not true. I don't condone violence anywhere. It could be January 6th. It could be Proud Boy members or it could be far lefties that are harming police officers. It doesn't matter. It's wrong. But why is it we always have to do whataboutism? We never had an insurrection in my lifetime. It happened under Donald Trump's watch because Donald Trump was at fault. And the rabbi said that Donald Trump isn't responsible at all. I raised my eyebrows and I'm like, huh? Do you agree with the rabbi? Do you think January 6th was no responsibility at the hands of Donald Trump? Then I ask you this question. If Donald Trump didn't say months for months before every day, still says to today, by the way, that Joe Biden didn't win the election, that Trump won the election in a landslide and that the Democrats cheated. If he didn't say those things that are all lies, by the way, does January 6th happen? 
Of course, the answer is no. So you have to put responsibility on Donald Trump. You shouldn't have to say, hey, we're going to go in there and we're going to storm the Capitol. We're going to hang Mike Pence. You shouldn't have to say those direct words in order to have partial responsibility. And I think Donald Trump is solely responsible, besides the people who committed the acts, right, of violence, for what took place on January 6th. Now, whether he'll be convicted or charged is another conversation. But I absolutely, in my opinion, think that Donald Trump is absolutely responsible for what took place on January 6th. And again, people that don't like Joe Biden like Rabbi. They want to talk about gas prices. Joe Biden doesn't set the gas prices, has nothing to do with how much gas is. They want to talk about the Keystone Pipeline, which even if he approved, wasn't going to be started for a couple years. So it has nothing to do with, and that's not my opinion, ask any economist that is not a right-wing buffoon, and they will tell you Joe Biden doesn't set gas prices. By the way, gas prices are up pretty much 90% all over the world. Is that Joe Biden's fault too? And then they bring up, you know, inflation. Inflation is up pretty much all over the world as well. Joe Biden's not the reason why you're spending more for eggs. Those are the criticisms I get from Republicans. And Republicans today do not stand for democracy, respect, and the poor. I'm sorry, they just don't. When I heard him say that, I was like, huh? It's just not true. For the most part, Democrats stand for the poor. It's why we have all these government programs in place. Republicans didn't put those in place to help poor people. That's for sure. Respect. Republicans stand for respect. When I list you these names, you tell me if respect is the first thing that comes to mind. Michelle Fiore, Jim Marchant. I'll even go uh, Joe Lombardo, Donald Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert, just to name a few. Do you think of the word respect? Those people can't even spell respect. Those are the faces of the Republican Party. Make no mistake about it. You can say you don't like them if you're a Republican, but those are the ones that are getting all the attention, and those are the ones that have zero respect for the Constitution. They have zero respect for human beings, particularly minorities. That is the opposite of respect, and I'm going to give you a name right now in talking about someone who literally has no respect for the truth. He is a right-wing Whale bumbling buffoon, and I'm talking about Sean Hannity. Why is Sean Hannity in the news today? And by the way, Sean Hannity is one of the talking heads for uh, echo chamber Republicans, just like Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram on Fox News. Well, he was one of Donald Trump's strongest former allies. They texted all the time, right? Sean Hannity admitted under oath, we found out, that he never believed the lie that Trump was cheated of victory in the 2020 presidential election. And that is exactly in contrast to what played out on some of his biggest shows. And all these hosts on Fox News and OAN and Newsmax and the Mark Levins of the world on radio spread the lie, believing that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. And then all of a sudden, when Sean Hannity gets under oath and he can't lie because he doesn't want to be charged with perjury, he tells the truth. That's the only time you will ever hear somebody like Sean Hannity tell the truth is when he is under oath and he admits that Donald Trump was full of BS. Now, this was... uh in front of attorneys during separate depositions in a $1.6 billion defamation suit. And while these depositions happened in August, their statements emerged yesterday in a Delaware Superior Court hearing related to a series of motions by the two sides in the case. Hannity said, quote, I did not believe it for one second. A 
according to an attorney for Colorado-based Dominion Voting Systems. Remember that, ladies and gentlemen? Do we remember the Dominion Voting Systems? Do we remember when idiots like Sean Hannity and so many morons on Fox News and right-wing stations said that Dominion voting machines were corrupt and they were the reason why Donald Trump lost the 2020 election? And then all of a sudden, Dominion voting machines, the ownership, rightfully so, comes forward and says, I'm going to sue you bastards, right? Because you're lying and you're hurting my product. Oh, and then all of a sudden, they retracted. As soon as there's a lawsuit and they get caught in a lie, oh, we might get sued for this. Oh, no, we didn't mean that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to right-wing media. And everybody wants to, all these right-wingers, oh, liberals and left-wing media, they want to censor Republicans. Well, maybe if you bastards didn't lie every day and you can't spell the word truth, then maybe they wouldn't. I mean, it's ridiculous. How could anybody in this day and age get their news from Sean Hannity or Mark Levin or Tucker Carlson or locally Wayne Allen Cook, for example, who still goes on the air every day and says millions of people have died from the vaccines. It is absurd. I'll open up the phone line 702-221-7283. Again, that number, your thoughts on my interview with Rabbi Wine from Young Israel. Things you agree with what he said, maybe things that you disagree with. Uh, that number, 702-221-7283. And again, this uh, story about Sean Hannity, who openly admitted under oath that he knew that Donald Trump was full of crap, but yet he still spread the lies every day. 702-221-7283 is the number to call. And there's a lot of other stories across the country that we are covering. There's a lot of stories locally, a lot of stories nationally. I told you the other day how I drove out to Pahrump, Michelle Fiore is now the Justice of the Peace, officially voted in 5-0. Didn't matter that she was accused of breaking somebody's fingers. It didn't matter that her house was raided by the FBI. It didn't matter that she's made racially charged comments. It didn't matter. Didn't matter that she slut-shamed Amy Tarkanian, but five members on that circus show commission in Nye County, they should all be ashamed of themselves. They're an embarrassment. I felt like I was going to a Klan meeting out there. There was no diversity. Bunch of Trumplicans out there. I'm telling you, that's why I made this analogy on the air the other day. You know, I'm sure by now you've heard that two minutes that I had to speak my piece about Michelle Fiore. I felt like I was going to a Klan rally, and I made that analogy to some friends yesterday at the Knights game. I said, you know, imagine going to a Klan rally and speaking to the Grand Wizard and trying to explain to them that black people are nice people. They're good people. You should treat them with respect just like white people. I felt like that was me at the meeting the other day trying to explain to people that Michelle Fiore is a bad person. Here are the reasons why, and you shouldn't put her in any position of power in this situation, justice of the peace. Now, if you went to a Klan rally and you did that, besides possibly getting shot or killed, uh, if you tried to make that case, they would laugh at you, they wouldn't listen to you, and you'd probably be in danger, and you'd never be invited back. Oh, trust me, I'm sure those commissioners in Nye County definitely don't want me coming back there because I represent everything they don't represent. That is Retrumplican MAGA country over there in Nye County and Pahrump. Isn't it interesting, though, that all these people that are the commissioners of that city and all these people that are in charge, they want to talk about their Christian values that they allow whorehouses out there. I find that to be very interesting. Uh, not that I'm against it. I'm just saying. I'm just saying, ladies and gentlemen. But I saw somebody walking a goat out there. It was interesting. I'm not used to seeing stuff like that. That doesn't happen here in Las Vegas. This is what we're dealing with. This is what I'm dealing with. This is what we're dealing with as a country these days. This is what we're dealing with. People that are on television, 
that lie every day. And by the way, I don't just throw out that word. People say, well, Brian, you're a liar. You lie. Oh, really? What have I lied about? Give me one example. Uh, You're an idiot. Oh, okay. Thank you. No, I can give you examples every day on Fox News. They lie. Tucker Carlson lies about Russia. Tucker, you should have seen Fox News and their coverage last night uh, with Zelensky when he came to the White House. Idiots in this town that are mocking Zelensky because of what he was wearing, by the way. Not the fact that the guy has risked his life for his country and he's a hero and he's a moral high ground soldier. That's why he's wearing green, you dumbasses. Oh, well, he should have been wearing a suit. Yeah, you listened to Mark Levin yesterday. He did 30 minutes talking about how Zelensky should have been wearing a shirt and tie. Nothing about what this man has done for his country. Nothing about all the innocent families that have been massacred, the mothers who have been raped while their children had to watch in Ukraine. You won't hear Mark Levin talk about that. You won't hear Tucker Carlson talk about that. They're going to talk about all the money we gave to Ukraine, right? By the way, that money used to save lives. But it's interesting because when Republicans start wars and George W. Bush starts a war in Iraq, you won't hear the idiots like Mark Levin and Tucker Carlson talk about all the money we're spending on those wars. But when we help an ally and send money to the Ukraine, Oh boy, look at all the money we're sending over there. Look at Zelensky. I can't believe he's not wearing a shirt and tie. You right-wing buffoons. You clowns. It's ridiculous. Absolutely absurd. It's ridiculous. Again, the number to call if you want to be a part of the conversation is 702-221-7283 is uh, the number to call. Hey, maybe you think I'm wrong about this. You know, maybe you think... uh, Zelensky's a, a horrible human being. I certainly don't. All right, let's go to Dr. Fry. Dr. Fry on the line. Doc, what's going on, man? Uh, several comments. First of all, I listened to every minute of Zelensky's speech, and I cannot remember the last time I saw so many people unified on both sides of the aisle stand and said, I think it's more, I think it's more exercise than McConnell has had in 10 years, standing mm. up and sitting down, giving <laughs> Zelensky standing ovations. And what a lot of people fail to remember is that Zelensky is Jewish. Jewish, this is Hanukkah. And uh, whether that's part of the reason they complain, you never know. But he's an outstanding example of a great world leader. He will go down in history with with uh, the great leaders of the world. That was a magnificent, magnificent speech. I watched it twice, actually. I watched the rerun late mm-hmm. at night at 9 o'clock or something. The man is a political genius. He's a moral man, which then leads me back to our immoral rabbi. It's amazing how moral people, he's, an, he's a Jewish ecumenical. It's amazing how Trump has corrupted all the ecumenicals. It's okay with him if he paid $130,000 in sex for the prize. It's okay. It's okay if he approves of letting people die because they can't get an abortion after they're raped. That's okay. I mean, it, just, the, 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 it, it pains me to see a rabbi who used to be a moral man that I now have no respect for, none whatsoever. And uh, they've all gone down the rabbit hole after Trump. And, I mean, the, the, the latest reports that out, there's no question that Trump was the instigator of the insurrection. No one can deny that. It's going to show up in court. He's going to be charged. But the evidence, even if he's not guilty by court, is clearly guilty by his actions. There's no question about that. And whether whether the, uh, rather, rather the uh, corrupt, Republicans will forgive him again, just like they did. Both impeachments were absolutely based in fact. The only reason he's a free man is because none of the Republicans would vote to commit him, no matter how guilty he was. And that's why we now have, uh, and I'm so proud of Biden and his accomplishments. 
he has done so much in spite of having, you know, uh, uh, Republicans against him. He's going to go down as one of the top ten presidents of all time, as, as did Obama. Well, I don't, uh, Doc, I don't disagree with you. Uh, and by the way, it's good to hear from you, Doctor, as always. I really do uh, appreciate your call. Um, I'll say this, Doc. Um, I don't agree with the rabbi when it comes to his political opinions at all. Whether that is to say that he's immoral, I'm not going to, uh, I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. I'll just say I think he's ill advised when it comes to some of his political beliefs. Certainly from a moral but, perspective, you know, he seems like a good husband and a good father. I just don't I'm like his saying, political I'm opinions. I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's not a good husband and a good, a good right. uh, father. Right. When you are the rabbi, you are the spiritual moral leader of the community. I understand. You are responsible. You are responsible for, for following truth. I get and it. Educating, and educating your, yes. your, your congregation mm-hmm. as to truth. And if the truth, uh, uh, means that your political affiliation is challenged, then you have to challenge that. So I don't, I do not any longer consider him a moral man if he will, if he will support lies I, instead of truth. I understand, and, Doc, and, and, and you're, and is in fa- I hear you, and, and if he's in favor, if he's in favor of supporting ending our democracy, then yeah. don't tell me you're in favor of democracy. Well, no, but d- I love your show, and I'll keep listening. And thanks for all. Thank the good you, stuff Doc. You do. Thank you, Doc. I, I appreciate your call. Listen. um, we all have different uh, opinions when it comes to politics and ideology. Obviously, I disagree with the rabbi when it comes to a lot of stuff, uh, political ideology. Um, there's no question about that. Um, and I'm amazed that I consider the rabbi to be a very intelligent person. There are a lot of, uh, I shouldn't say a lot, but there are intelligent people. Now, uh, one thing I will give him credit for is he said he would not vote for Donald Trump again. Thank God for that. But... I just don't know how people today in 2022 can say to themselves, oh, I'd much rather have Donald Trump in office than Joe Biden. Oh, look at our economy. Look at how great it was. First of all, look at the economy he took over from Barack Obama. That's number one. They forget about that. And number two, look at the economy Joe Biden took over and look at how Donald Trump handled COVID. Are you kidding me? Think of all the people that died under Donald Trump's watch. Do I blame all the deaths on COVID to Donald Trump? No. But look at the lies he spread. It's going to go from 15 cases down to zero. Inject yourself with disinfectant. Every day when he held these press conferences, he made it into a campaign press conference instead of about COVID. If we had somebody in office, I'll even go to Barack Obama or even George W. Bush. If we had somebody in office during COVID, hundreds of thousands of American lives would have been saved. But Donald Trump decided to make it about himself. Just look at those COVID press conferences, if you don't believe me. He talked more about Joe Biden than about how Americans should take care of themselves and how they can save their own lives. He even wanted to take credit for the vaccines and Operation Warp Speed. But yet, when he decided to get the vaccine, he and Melania, he made it private. 702-221-7283 is the number to call. Let's go to Fernando. Fernando's next. What's going on, Fernando? Hey, Brian. Yeah, you're exactly right. I agree with you. Um, it was an insurrection. You had the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the Boogaloo Brothers, and all these other groups, which are horrible groups that need to be put in jail. Yeah. Uh, sad, uh, sadly, a lot of them are not. <laughs> but they do. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I know if you noticed on the Zelensky uh, speech last night, did you see Green and Bulbert and Gates? They're just sitting there. Yeah, they're they despicable. Be there. Yeah, they're despicable. They're despicable. They have no idea. You know, somebody should send them a video 
And I don't, I don't want to see this, but I'm just saying in general terms, there are families that have been massacred in that country every single day. Mothers that are raped while their children have to watch it, killed, murdered. They should show that to Marjorie Taylor. And, you know, as bad of people as they are, they probably won't care. But no, no. but then when it comes to a war in Iraq, right? When it comes to George W. Bush or, or these Republican wars, Billions and billions of dollars pumped into those wars. You'll never hear them talk about that. You know, it's interesting, isn't it? And by the way, that's not our ally. Iraq's never been our ally. Saddam Hussein was never our ally. But Zelensky and Mm -hmm. Ukraine is a good ally to the United States of America. And they're fighting the evil, murderous dictator in Vladimir Putin. Why are so many Republicans out there sympathetic to Vladimir Putin? I have no idea. But what has happened to our rabbi? That guy has gone a different direction. Well, I... I, I can't speak for him. Years ago, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. But it's just he's changed completely, and I just I disagree with his views on on, on policy and, and politics. Well, but um, you know what? Hey, have, have a great Christmas. Thanks, have, have Fernando. Christmas, you too. Who wins tonight? UNLV or Southern Miss? Oh, the Rebels win. I, I agree with you, Fernando. Let's hope so. Anyway, Kevin Kruger's coming up next. Hey, Fernando, good to hear from you. Have a great holiday as well. Okay. Okay. You Thank you. Um, that reminds me, Kevin Kruger is coming up next. Um, look. The bottom line here, the rabbi's a conservative. He's a Republican. I'm not going to attack him. I respect him for coming in and stare. And that's why I wanted him to come in. I didn't want somebody to come in that I agree with about everything. That's no fun. I like having good debate. We can agree to disagree. I don't like his political beliefs. I don't um, agree with a lot of things he said about what Republicans stand for today. But that's all about, you know, having a good conversation, a good debate and good radio. And unlike any other uh, uh, the right wing echo chamber radio shows in this town, they will never sit across from somebody that disagrees with them and have a good debate or conversation because all they do is right wing echo chamber radio. Alan Stock, Kevin Wall, Wayne Allen Cook, they're all the same. Steve Sanchez, they're all the same. Let's just attack one side of the aisle, and I'm not willing to speak to someone from the other side of the aisle face-to-face in studio. There's a word for that, ladies and gentlemen. It's called a coward. We'll take a quick break, and when we come back, UNLV's head basketball coach, Kevin Kruger, will be joining us. They got a big game today. I want to tell you guys about my good friends at uh, Sahara West Urgent and Primary Care. They're located at 6125 West Sahara Avenue, Suite 1B. No appointment needed. Give them a buzz, 702-248-0554. You can visit them online at saharawesturgentcare.com. I was in and out of there in 20 minutes. I promise they'll take care of you. They take most insurances. If you don't have insurance, $95 payment. Sahara West Urgent and Primary Care. Take a quick break. When we come back, the head coach of UNLV Basketball. Kevin Kruger, you're listening to Pushing the Limits right here on KSHP. Hey everybody, are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. 
Forget about it. Look, it's impossible for the average person to find a great attorney out there. There's so much misinformation. Now, let me introduce you to former Chief Deputy District Attorney Thomas Moskal. He was Las Vegas' top DUI prosecutor for years. He prosecuted the most high-profile DUI cases in Clark County. No one knows more about DUI law in Nevada. Just Google it. If you get charged with DUI, whether it's a misdemeanor or even more importantly, a felony, you need Thomas Moskal representing you. His relationships with the prosecutors and judges and his knowledge of DUI law to work for you. So give him a call now or text him at 702-848-5555. It's your life and liberty that's at stake. Don't wait. Call now. That number again, 702-848-5555. Hey everybody, it's Brian Shapiro from Pushing the Limits. I want to tell you guys about Sahara West Urgent Care and Wellness. They're conveniently located on the southwest corner of Sahara and Jones. They're open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. and Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. At Sahara West Urgent Care, they'll take care of all your healthcare needs. They offer routine services such as physicals, STD testing, car accident treatment and work injuries, you name it, they do it. They have on-site x-ray, EKG, ultrasound and labs. They treat chronic conditions such as asthma, blood pressure, diabetes and more. They also offer general wellness exams, treatments such as testosterone enhancement and cancer screening. They're located on Sahara, 6125 West Sahara Avenue. Their number is 702-248-0554. And the best part, they accept most major insurances and affordable cash pay prices, office visits starting at just $95. And I'm also a client. So please give them a call, 702-248-0554. Hey, everybody. Are you struggling to find a pizza place that reminds you of Brooklyn? That true blue New York style pie? Well, worry no more. Stallone's Italian Eatery Pizza is a knockout. We're located at 467 East Silverado Ranch Boulevard, just off of Premier Road, half a mile east of South Point Casino, just minutes from the Las Vegas Strip. Come by and grab a slice of pie. Plus, check out our Brooklyn-inspired Italian cuisine. Our sandwiches are super hero, that is, because why be a sub when you can be a hero? Stallone's Italian Eatery is here to serve you phenomenal food, Vegas. Forget about it. All right, welcome back. It is Pushing the Limits on a Thursday. Thank you so much for joining us. We got a big UNLV basketball game tonight. Uh, Southern Miss in town, pretty good team. And uh, we want to fill up the Thomas and Mac. We want to get as many people as possible out to the Thomas and Mac Center. I got to say, it was a nice crowd against San Francisco the other day. It was loud in there. I would argue it's the loudest it's been in there in a long time. Very exciting game. I know the game didn't end the way uh, Kevin Kruger and uh, uh, his staff wanted it to end, but it was still an exciting game. It's a good product. And joining us right now on the line to kind of preview tonight's game is uh, Kevin Kruger, the head coach of UNLV Basketball. Kevin, I appreciate you coming on. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Doing good, Kevin. I appreciate you coming on on game day. And uh, obviously, I want to talk about the game tonight. Before I do so, I know you guys, you know, the game didn't end against San Francisco the way you wanted it to. But did you see what San Francisco did to Arizona State last night? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did. Got to watch the second half of that one after I got home from the Tark. I mean, that's a good basketball team you guys played, right? And it seems like they're starting to click now. Uh, again, I know the 11-0 run late in that game is not something that you wanted, but there's certainly nothing embarrassing losing to a, a really good San Francisco basketball team, right? 
Yeah, I think uh, you know the frustrating part from uh, from our end was just uh, it was by far our most uncharacteristic finish. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've that's kind of something when we've gotten into the last four minutes of games, we've been able to to win some close ones just because we don't turn it over and we don't give up points. And, you know, to not only turn it over, but then give up 11 points in three minutes, it's just something that we we haven't seen. And uh, so both guys recognized it. Um, and I think we will come out tonight. We should have a pretty good chip on our shoulder. Yeah, I, I expect that from you guys tonight as well. Let's talk about Southern Myths. This is a pretty good basketball team. They've won a lot of games early. Can you just give me the scouting report? Talk to me a little bit about this team for fans that are heading out to the game that don't know a lot about Southern Miss basketball. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you're, if you're just kind of a, a, a basketball fan in general, you'd probably see a lot of similarities between us and Southern Miss in the sense that, you know, there was some question marks and, uh, and a lot of doubters um, leading into the season for both programs. And I think both programs have kind of opened some eyes. Um, I think both teams play really hard. Uh, but what Southern Miss has done uh, from kind of the jump they've made from last year is, is pretty impressive. And they got a big kid, Haas, that's shooting the ball. He's third in the country right now. They got Crowley, who's a transfer from Old Miss, and was actually Luis Rodriguez, our Luis Rodriguez's roommate at one point. Um, so they, they've got a lot of guys. Mo Arnold handles the ball really well. They play extremely hard, but they play incredibly secure mm-hmm. and confident. And uh, and that's what happens, you know, when you got a team. I think I believe they're eleven and one. That uh, you know, you, you, that has won a lot of games. Went into Vanderbilt and won. Um, just uh, went to Lamar and won. Had Lamar come back home and and beat and beat him twice in a in a week. So, just a very secure, confident team. That's honestly, it's, it's a great challenge for mm-hmm. us coming off uh, of a game that were, we didn't finish the way we wanted to. Right now, Kevin, I know you, you'll take a win any way it comes, whether you score ninety points or fifty points. But am I wrong in assuming that you would rather a game be more half court, even though you can run up and down the court? You guys certainly approve that, and you can score. You did a lot of that against uh, uh, Washington State uh, at uh, MGM Grand. But it, would you rather see a slower pace, or you don't mind up and down the floor um offensively i'd much rather get out and run um i think you know they analytically the first half against san francisco was our best half of the year and uh and i think a lot of that just came from rebounding it getting good clean two-handed rebounds and being able to run out i think we've got a lot of a lot of depth at the guard uh, spots and guys a lot of athletic guys that can run out and space the floor and make plays for each other and in the second half i just didn't think we did that at the level we needed to uh, consistently. Um, but defensively, yeah, I think we're a team that we pick up full and, and we guard the ball full court. But uh, once we get into the half court and, and guys are, are kind of in sync in the half court, uh, we've proven to be a pretty good defensive team. This might be a loaded question, but, I mean, it is difficult in this day and age to get you know, one through 12 on your roster, everybody buying in defensively, playing at a hundred percent. You've clearly done that with this team. What did you take from your father and to, to, to your coaching to be able to, you know, instill in these young men to always give it their all and to, to win on the defensive end? And it starts there. Well, growing up, I mean, his teams were always just really good defensively. Um, you know, going to practices, watching their games, kind of being raised in that. I think in that mindset uh, that you got to guard people. And I think uh, you can probably put a, a, a little bit of our um, inability to score <laughs> between the two of us. Uh, so maybe there's just a little more, a little more comfort and security in the, in the team defense aspect. But even as a player, you know, it's really fun when you get out there with a group that's defensive minded and you can kind of walk around with that confidence 
that uh, you can mess people up and mm-hmm. you can kind of be disruptive. Yeah. And you can always just kind of hang your hat on that security that when it comes down to uh, getting a stop, you know you're going to make them work really hard for it. And I think uh, that's what his team's embodied growing up. And I'm I'm just glad to hear and proud of these guys for, for having that reputation. You know, they're a top – I believe we're still in the top 40 in the nation as a as a – analytically as a defense so um, that's something that we're going to keep getting better at but the guys are working hard and playing hard and, it, and it's showing yeah no question I think something else that y- you certainly uh, take after your dad and is is developing players right uh, I remember some of the players you played with on that UNLV Sweet 16 team some didn't ever expect to be NBA players when they were freshmen he developed them into NBA players and then I think of you know Gilbert I mean I think a lot of people saw him last year and said wow this kid's got a lot of talent but he's so raw and then I look at the leap he made from last year to this year more under control more confident scoring off the dribble his it, it seems like his outside shooting has improved and more consistent as well. I mean, talk a little about his his game. I already hear rumblings from people that know a lot about the game that tell me this kid could be a professional basketball player one day. He's he's made some great strides from last year to this year. Yeah, I think uh, you know the number one thing that that's the hardest, probably even recruiting kids in high school, transfer portal, whatever it may be, is uh, you know that understanding that you don't have to be in the NBA tomorrow. And I think uh, that's where Keyshawn's. Uh, probably got an advantage over the majority of college players right now he's uh he's got a great patience to him uh kind of a great security and that if he's as long as he keeps working and keeps improving he'll have a chance but also it kind of comes with an understanding that you know guards rarely play in the nba if they don't help their college teams win and uh you know there's not a lot of guards that are drafted just based on the potential that they might have someday you got to have positive effects on the teams you play on and i think Keyshawn, because of his, his competitiveness and his drive, you know, he helped his high school teams win, and now he's doing a great job helping his college team win. Head UNLV basketball coach Kevin Kruger joining us on the line. Big game tonight. We want to get as many people as possible at the Thomas & Mac uh, playing a pretty good Southern Miss team. They haven't lost many games this year either, so this is going to be a good one. So, Coach, I know that your focus is on the game tonight, but I want to talk to you a little bit about the Mountain West Conference because, let's be honest, conference play is right around the corner. I'm very impressed with the conference this year. First of all, you got uh, a Utah State team. Have they even lost a game yet? I'm not, I don't think they have. New Mexico. Uh, I watched uh, Patino Jr. in town. They, played, they beat San Francisco earlier was a great game. And then I, I, I look at uh, some of these other teams. Of course, San Diego State's always going to be a powerhouse in the Mountain West Conference. Boise State's very good. I think there's more parity, and, and, and there are better teams as a whole in the conference this year than maybe in years past. Would you agree with that? And what do you make of the Mountain West Conference where it is right now? No, I would agree. I think, uh, you know, sending four teams last year was a historic year for us as a conference. Just uh, since expansion, we I don't believe we've sent four. And I can confidently say after last year that this year, I believe, as a whole, top to bottom, is better than last year. Um, like all those teams you mentioned, you know, are having great starts, but you didn't even say, you know, because it's because of uh, their injuries, Wyoming. Right. You know, not right. having EK and then not having Maldonado for a stretch. I mean, they're still one of the, if not most dangerous teams in our conference just because of their experience in winning. So. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a conference season where I think there's going to be a lot of nights that are either really close games, upsets in the eyes of the fans or the basketball world. But I think people close to the Mountain West know how hard it is to win games in conference. Yeah, I have to get your thoughts on uh, 
head UNLV football coach, now Odom, and now we got Petrino. There's also a lot of excitement, of course, I'm on the women's basketball program with Coach LaRock and what she's been able to accomplish. And you look at the football program now, I, for one, am very excited for the upcoming UNLV football season. What are your thoughts at UNLV as a whole? I just think there there should be, and I think there is, rightfully so, a lot of positivity around uh, basketball and football right now in UNLV. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you look at our athletic department as a whole, it's just uh, I think everybody's making strides and getting better. Uh, you know, football winning five games last year even. Uh, and, of course, Coach Odom coming in uh, recently. But uh, Don Sullivan winning conference championships in volleyball. Mm-hmm. Lindy winning basketball conference last year. I, I just think across the board you're just seeing a lot of, of you know, star, not, uh, coaches and a lot of programs within the athletic department just – Working really hard, getting better, and um, and making the athletic department as a whole uh, kind of just a, a little better overall. They'll raise mm-hmm. raise the stakes a little bit, supporting each other, and and uh, hopefully we can just kind of continue to do that and continue to gain respect uh, nationally. Sure. So, Kevin, I I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here, but do you ever dream yourself in the back of your head what it would feel like if you were able, as the head coach of UNLV basketball, to cut down the nets at the Thomas and Mac to win a Mountain West Conference championship and give your dad a big hug? Like, does that ever cross your mind? <laughs> Well, of course. I mean, I, I daydream just as much as anybody, probably. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just winning games, getting better, you know, uh, hearing our name on Selection Sunday. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that I, that, I, that I think about and I wonder how to make happen. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of course, great feelings in the sports world. And, and I think hearing your name on Selection Sunday, cutting down nets, winning games, uh, those, those are some of the best memories I have. So, yeah, I think that if if we can bring a championship back to Vegas and and hear our name on Selection Sunday, I think uh, I'll probably be the happiest person in the city. Yeah, well, obviously, we're all rooting for you, Kevin. You're an easy guy to root for. Well, we'll see you out there tonight, my man. It's going to be a fun one out there. I see the Thomas and Mack Center. More people are coming to games, rightfully so. You have a very good product. And it's getting louder in there. I mean, I feel it. Do you feel it? I just feel like people are starting to come in now, and they're starting to believe about this team. Oh, without a doubt. I think, uh, you know, the attendance is getting better. Um, the but there's, uh, these guys have earned a little bit of a buzz. And, uh, like you said, it's an easy group to root for. You know, they play really hard. They dive on the floor. They, they guard people. They, uh, they compete. And, you know, the Vegas has always been a fighter's town. And, and I think they kind of embody the, the, the reputation and the kind of the attitude that, that people of Las Vegas have. And I, and I, I share this story because I was at a recent practice and you have all the players coming up to me, shaking my hand, saying, thank you for being here. That's something we haven't always seen at UNLV. And I know you instill that in them. And these are respectful kids. You got good kids on this team that represent the city. And I, I just think that also makes them an easier team to root for as well. I know they appreciate the support as much as you do. So Kev, we're all pulling for you tonight. I'll see you out there. Always appreciate your time, especially on game day and go kick some butt out there. Okay. Thanks, Brian. We'll see you tonight. All right, Kev. Thank you. That's Kevin Kruger, head coach, UNLV basketball. It's a big game tonight. And the reason why it's a big game is because they're playing another team that's only lost one game all year. Something's got to give tonight. This is a great bounce-back game for them. This would be a great bounce-back game. Interesting. Interesting what Kevin said to start this interview. He said, yeah, in a way, they have an axe to grind tonight. You know, they're angry. They didn't like the way they lost that game the other day. And by the way, that's going to happen. You're going to have games like that where maybe you don't make shots down the stretch. You don't want it to happen often. You don't want to give up an 11-point lead at home. That stuff's going to happen. Better it happen now than in March, right? 
And uh, there's nothing embarrassing about... You want to talk about embarrassing? Nothing brought me more joy yesterday than seeing Bobby Hurley getting blitzed on national television. Bobby Hurley got embarrassed on the road. And by the way, they were the 25th team in the country. They ain't going to be the 25th team in the country after this game. San Francisco beat them by about nine touchdowns. I mean, the game was over. I think the score was like... uh, I'm at the Vegas Golden Knights game yesterday. I'm sitting with Chris Wynn and we're, we're sitting with some people and we're looking at the score of this Arizona State because I always root against Bobby Hurley. He's Bobby Hurley's Duke. If you're a UNLV fan, you hate Bobby Hurley. Yeah, I hate Christian Leitner, right? And although Leitner doesn't coach, but, uh, you know, Bobby Hurley has gotten off to a really good start this year with Arizona State. San Francisco was up 40 to 11 and then they, 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 Bobby Hurley takes like five timeouts and he takes a timeout because the score was 40 to 11. He looks at a guy who turned the ball over and then on the other end there was a dunk. And I can't say what he said to his power forward on the year because it would break FCC regulations. Bobby Hurley looked like he was going to have an aneurysm yesterday. His team just was, they didn't even show up. A junior high team could have played a better game. They were terrible. Now, you also have to give a lot of credit to San Francisco. The Dons have a good young coach. They're a good team. Um, and they're always a force to be reckoned with in the West Coast Conference. My boy Rex Walters used to coach that team, by the way. I still talk to Rex. But the West Coast Conference is really good, too. I mean, listen, the Dons are always going to be good. We know how good Gonzaga is, but Gonzaga is not the powerhouse that they've been in years past. Uh, I certainly think St. Mary's could give them a run this year, and even San Francisco could. This is a very good San Francisco team, and what makes it interesting is New Mexico just beat them. New Mexico is very good as well. The thing I like about this San Francisco team is I love their guard play. Yes, they have size. They're very big, but their skill starts with their guard play. Man, do they have guys that can shoot and facilitate. Um, so I really like San Francisco. They're very, very good this year. Not a bad loss for UNLV. Yeah, it sucked the way they lost. You know, up 11, you never want to give up a lead like that. But, um, but, uh, college basketball is fun this year, man. This is a lot of fun, a lot more fun than some of these disastrous bowl games. I'll tell you that the Las Vegas bowl, it, you couldn't find a bigger snooze fest. I mean, that was just a terrible football game. There have been some good bowl games here and there, but my goodness, there are just way too many bowl games that are meaningless. It's all about money and some of these games. I mean, the game in New Orleans yesterday, the bowl game that I saw in New Orleans yesterday, I was watching it on television. It got, it looked like there were like 500 people in the stands, man. It looked like Marvin Menzies UNLV basketball team playing Air Force at home on a Wednesday night. That's what it looked like. I am very happy for Kevin. I am very happy for this UNLV basketball team. These are good kids on this team. They play hard. And I understand that all that's going to matter is can you compete for a Mountain West Conference championship? Can you get into the NCAA tournament? Uh, even if they don't win the Mountain West, if they have a really good record in the Mountain West this year and they get into the NCAA tournament in year two of Kevin Kruger, Kevin's going to be a hero. I mean, and remember, his dad didn't just get to NCAA tournament. His dad won a bunch of NCAA tournament games, got a final four. He's taken four different teams to the NCAA tournament, his father. And make no mistake about it, Kevin is an absolute microcosm of the way his father coached. Yeah, if we get out and run, that's great. But I think Kevin would probably agree with me, maybe not on the air, but he'd rather the game be in the 50s or 60s because they pride themselves on defense. They have athletes. Harkless is, is, is an incredible athlete. That kid can shoot from anywhere. He is, he's a stud. You know, I want the ball in his hands if they're down by one with 10 seconds to go. Not necessarily Gilbert. Gilbert is also an incredible talent. Um, and by the way, speaking of UNLV, we're going to get Petrina on the show hopefully next week. Uh, the new offensive coordinator at UNLV. What a hire. 
listen, anybody who listens to Brian Shapiro or has listened to Brian Shapiro on the radio the last 20 years, I haven't said a lot of positive things about UNLV athletics. The last month, um, I've said nothing but positive things because that's my opinion. I'm always going to tell you how I feel. I've been very positive with the basketball programs. Kevin did a good job last year. He's doing a better job this year. Coach LaRock has done a phenomenal job with the women's program. I need to go to more games. I haven't covered the women's program as much as I should. I'll go to more games this year. And I am very excited for the UNLV football program because I believe they uh, that uh, Harper made a great fire. Coach Royal, don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. Maybe you could take that egotistical attitude somewhere else and be an offensive coordinator for Nevada Reno. I don't know. Go somewhere else. We won't miss you. And I can guarantee you that even though some people might not say it on the record at UNLV, they are not going to miss you either. This guy Odom is respectful. From what I've seen from him, he gets it. He wants to be here. He's been to, a, he's probably been to over 40 schools by now. I had him on the air last week. He said he's already been to 16 local Las Vegas high schools. That's got to make you smile if you're Harper. It's got to make you smile. He gets it. And by the way, one, another thing is ego. I don't think Odom has ego. Why? Because he just hired Petrino, who is one of the biggest names in college football. He just hired Petrino as his offensive coordinator. So he's not worried about a bigger name working underneath him. You think Arroyo would make a hire like that? Are you kidding me? Marcus Arroyo has such an ego. He would never make a hire like this, even if he knew it would. Petrino could have texted Arroyo last year and said, hey, I don't even want to be paid. I just want to be your coordinator. And he would have said no. Because that's who Arroyo is. He's got, he's an ego, man. But, you know, rightfully so, because he, you know what? He, listen, I mean, Arroyo got so much done here. He won seven games in three years. What an accomplishment. So he should have been walking around like he was the head coach of Alabama. Obviously, I'm being facetious, but, um, I'm very excited with, uh, what our athletic director at UNLV has done. I didn't know a lot about Eric Harper. I knew that he was uh, below Desiree Reed Francois, and the second Desiree Reed Francois left, the Joker, as I called her. As soon as the Joker left at UNLV, uh, I said, geez, anybody but her, please. Eric Harper stepped in here, and uh, I'm glad they, uh, he was the interim athletic director, and I'm glad they hired him. I thought that was a good decision. Harper is someone who played Division I college football at a very high level. I believe it was at Kansas or Kansas State. It was one of those schools. Um, and he was a very good college football player. He gets it. He understands. He was also at practices, at football practices. He knew what was going on within the program. And he knew he needed to hire a coach with some sort of identity. Odom has an identity as being a defensive-minded coach. You just got Petrino, who is probably one of the most brilliant minds in the history, offensive minds, in the history of football, NFL or college. And you got him as an assistant. If you're UNLV, you could not have asked, in my opinion, for better hires. In my opinion. You're not going to get an NFL coach. You're not going to get a guy like that to come here to UNLV. You got Petrino and you got Odom. And uh, the UNLV football program, mark my words, man, this is a changing of the guard. I'm not going to say they're going to win 10 games next year. But I'm just saying, to me, this is the changing of the guard. UNLV athletics has been a struggle for the last couple decades, for the most part. I mean, you had Lon Kruger in there. He had some great years at UNLV basketball. Sanford wasn't very good. Hauk wasn't very good. I like Sanchez. Nice guy. He just didn't win enough games here, but he got the facilities. You got to give him credit for that. A lot of credit for that. I think this is the changing of the guard for UNLV athletics. I really do. You got two really good young coaches. I understand they're not winning a national championship anytime soon. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not getting crazy, 
But I see no reason why Kevin Kruger can't compete for a Mountain West Conference title this year. I'm not saying he's going to win one, but I think this team is good enough to maybe possibly make a run in, in March and get into the NCAA tournament. I really think that could happen. So the programs are in a lot uh, a lot better shape now than they were even a year ago, let alone five years ago. Gosh, the women's program, they couldn't win games. The men's program, they couldn't even sniff the NCAA tournament. They couldn't even get close to the Mountain West Conference Finals. They were playing in the play-in game. You know how embarrassing that is for UNLV basketball? You got that national championship banner hanging up there, and you're playing Air Force on a Wednesday morning in a play-in game in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. That's what Marvin Menzies brought you, everybody. That was an embarrassment in the UNLV football program. I know this will hurt some feelings out there, but let's be honest. The UNLV football program over the course of the last few decades has been an embarrassment. They've been at the bottom of the barrel. It doesn't bring me any happiness to say that, but it has. Yeah, you had Bobby Houck and, and Caleb Herring that had a good year and they got into a ball game. Okay, big deal. I mean, the football program has been really bad for a long time. And that's the reason why fans don't show up. And I am a firm believer that if you give somebody a good product, I don't mean to sound like Kevin Costner, but if you build it, they will come. (laughs) They will. Look at the San Francisco UNLV game the other day. The place was rocking. It wasn't sold out. It wasn't even packed like it was in the Dave Rice days when they had like five NBA players on the team. But it was an improvement, right? The Thomas and Mack Center was loud. It was fun, and I forgot what that felt like to be in the Thomas and Mac. And I hope we get that same atmosphere tonight because Kevin deserves it. His players deserve it. The athletic director deserves it because they are doing a good job. All due respect to the UNLV football program, I'm not sure they deserved 20,000 people in there. I'm not saying the kids didn't deserve it. I'm sure they played hard, but Arroyo certainly didn't deserve it. He didn't get out in the community. He didn't do the things. Now I'm, I'm thinking that's going to change. We have a very interesting show lined up for you tomorrow. Oh, boy. Is this going to be fun? This is going to be an interesting battle. Donald Trump's former speechwriter when he was president, Darren Beatty, is going to be joining us. Oh, this is going to be fun. I can't wait. And then we have the biggest name in poker, Danny Negreanu, Real Kid Poker. He's going to be joining us on the show tomorrow, too. So we are jam-packed tomorrow. It's going to be a fun show. And uh, listen, I appreciate the rabbi coming on. It was good conversation. He is a good man. I do believe he has a moral compass. I just disagree with his political beliefs. And I know some of you will disagree with me on that, but that is fine. All right, everybody, that is the show. Please find me on YouTube. Uh, PTL Vegas is where we broadcast live the PTL Vegas Facebook page. And if any of you out there are friends with Michelle Fiore and you want to ask her to come on my show and you could coax her into doing so, uh, steak dinner on me. Anyway, thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a great day. My thanks to Mark Hayes for doing all the dirty work for me. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow. Same time, same place. Have a great day, everybody.